And I was thinking back, in fact, that last song, um, how amazing was that for me and my wife knows, and I've shared it with you, um, that that song reminds me of the time when I recommitted my life to the Lord. I remember singing that song, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And I remember being at, in, the, in that moment, in that time of my life, just feeling just completely broken. You know, it was, um, it was something that I had allowed myself to come into. Uh, you see, in the Word, what I love about God is that He warns, He warns us, He tells us that, If we take this path of denying him, of rejecting him, of neglecting his word or twisting his word, that we'll find ourselves in a place perhaps uh, under God's hand of discipline. He will allow us to deal with the consequences of our own sins. And that's because he loves us, not because he hates us, not because uh, he doesn't like us and he enjoys seeing us go through suffering. It's not for that reason. Although sometimes we may think that. Our opinions don't matter if they don't align with the truth of God's word. We go into that time of discipline having been fully warned. I was fully warned. And I remember that that moment of just completely being filled with sorrow, with grief, with the brokenness, with a, finally an, aware, uh, an awareness of how I had turned my back on my God who had poured his grace upon me at one point. I remember singing that song. And just weeping, just breaking in that moment. You know, this morning as we consider the the text that we're going into, as we get to the last verse of this chapter, we'll see how it was that Peter, being fully warned, came to that place of finally understanding and knowing that what he was capable of And what was foretold of him that he was going to do. He was going to deny Jesus three times. And yet, Peter didn't believe it. You see, as we learned last week, we need to to reach the end of ourselves. We need to quit relying on on the flesh and our own intellect and our own knowledge as far as humanity is concerned. and, And what the world tells us gives us worth, knowing that it is just vanity, it's empty. We need to come to the end of that and come to a place to where we truly and completely believe in Jesus Christ and we walk with him. You will find great joy in that. You will not regret it. In fact, you will only wish that you had done it sooner. And so perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps you can relate in some way, shape, or form 
that denial or that betrayal or that neglect of your relationship with God. Perhaps you're in that place right now and the Lord is going to minister to you deeply with the word and by his spirit. I know he'll minister to everyone whose heart is open to him this morning. Who's willing to receive because God's word does not return void. It accomplishes what he intends for it to accomplish to everyone who receives and simply believes. You know, as we prayed this morning, at 8 o'clock we pray. By the way, you're all invited. 8 o'clock we pray every morning at the youth building. Every morning, every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock we pray. And uh, one of the prayers was over the children. And how it was that? It's amazing how the kids understand Scripture. In ways that adults complicate and twist and try and use to our own benefit. Or we just completely deny it. It's amazing how much kids understand. And then when you ask them about certain verses and if they understand it and what it means, they can give you the answer just like that with complete confidence. I pray this morning that that's the confidence that we gain in the faithfulness of God and in the solidness of the foundation that we can build our lives upon, and that is the Word of God. This morning we're going to learn about the pain and humiliation of Jesus as we continue, and we're going to conclude this chapter And what I pray is that at some point we may remember even that that time that Peter acknowledged and he understood. It was one of those life-changing moments for Jesus to where he understood the frailty of the flesh, the weakness of the flesh. And at the same time, for him looking back, for us looking at, with great understanding, the love that Christ had for him and he has for us as well. The pain and humiliation of Jesus. Let's begin reading in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to go to verse 53. Mark 14, verse 53. They led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. 
And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Oh, Father, uh, you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, Father, Jesus received this willingly. No one took his life. He gave it up of his own accord and by his own will. Lord, he went through all of this on our behalf. He didn't deserve any of it. And I know, Father, that he didn't do it so that we would pity him. But, Lord, that we would believe in him, knowing that the shedding of his blood was for the remission of our sin. That we would completely surrender our lives to him. Knowing that in Christ we have victory over sin and death. As he was raised from the grave three days later. And so Lord speak to us this morning. Help us to understand how it is that our Lord endured pain and humiliation on our behalf. To teach us how we ourselves are to endure and persevere through pain and humiliation. So, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out with uh, this statement, and I hope that we all understand this. The enemy takes no prisoners. Do you understand this? The enemy takes no prisoners. In John 10.10, Jesus spoke very clearly, saying, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy takes no prisoners. John eight forty four. again, Jesus speaking, said, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. One of the most valuable lessons we can learn as Christians is that the world itself, that the world is diabolically opposed to Christ and his children. Followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, the world is diabolically opposed to God and his children, his people. That is one of the the most basic and fundamental and most important lessons that we can learn as God's people. And Satan's end game is always to steal, kill, and destroy. And he works to achieve this by any means possible. Steal, cheat, twist, manipulate, entice, tempt. 
He's willing to employ whatever is necessary. First of all, to steal what is good, especially God's word from your heart. From taking root in your heart. You know, it's one thing, you know, as we learn the parable of the soils, right? How was that there was some seed that fell on the hard, trodden down path. And, and immediately the bird, birds would come down and, and pluck those seeds right up, right? By the way, a, a picture of that is, is Satan coming down and stealing that word from your heart. As soon as it comes down, it's stolen, picked up. What happens with uh, a seed that is not allowed to sink deep into the soil and then be watered? Well, it has no chance of taking root, right? And even less to produce any fruit whatsoever. The enemy will also employ whatever is necessary to kill your faith in Jesus. Perhaps that seed's been planted. It's taken root. There's some fruit, but at some point... We allow the enemy to come in and kill our faith in Jesus Christ and walk with him closely. By the way, that was me. And again, perhaps you can relate to that. I described how it was that I at some point recommitted my life to the Lord. I had to do that because I had turned my back on the Lord. The enemy is willing to employ whatever is necessary to destroy everything that glorifies Jesus. That is his attempt on your life, your family, your marriage, your friendships with other people, especially with those within the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's making, he's doing everything possible to destroy everything that brings glory to God. You think about this, right? What brings glory to God if you know that? And you have an issue with something that brings glory to God. Know that it's the enemy. Perhaps it's your flesh. It's pride. It's those things. The enemy is hard at work. And he is desiring to destroy everything that brings glory to God. Another valuable lesson to learn is that a servant is not greater than his master. Turn with me to John chapter 15. This is another super important lesson to learn, to keep in mind. In John chapter 15 and verse 18 is where we'll go. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, 
they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. An important lesson to learn. Keep in mind how it is that a servant is not greater than his master. The world hates Jesus. The world hates you. There's no other way of putting it. Sometimes we desire, right? We we fall into uh, just these foolish thoughts of desiring that the the world would love us. You know, uh, affirm us and come beside us and, and really bolster us up. Listen, the world hates Jesus, and we're not greater than our master. The world hates Jesus, the world hates you. Do not, be, do not open yourself up to manipulation and deception. Do not give yourself to that. Be fully aware of, uh, of, of the schemes of the enemy and how it is that the enemy works. Because the enemy, first and foremost, goes after your mind. Your thoughts. Have you taken your thoughts captive and submitted them or yielded them to the authority of God's word? Jesus was also per- persecuted by the world, and it will persecute you. Just stand firm. Stand firm with Jesus and see what happens. Remember, the servant is not greater. Than the master. The world hates Jesus without cause is what we read here in John chapter 15 verse 25. This was to fulfill what had been written in the law. Not because you did something against him. Not because Jesus has done something against the world. In fact, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When Jesus was on the cross... Giving his life. He was giving his life for the sin of the world. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For all who believe. We also need to know the reason the world is opposed to Christ. It's because he exposes sin. And the world loves their sin. God's word immediately reveals darkness for what it is. And I remember years ago, before surrendering my life to Christ, I remember my my sister had surrendered her life to Christ. She was walking with the Lord. And to my shame, I remember how it was that her brothers and sisters in Christ would come to the door of my home. And I would, I've told this story again to my shame. And I, and I remember them standing there. And I'd open up the door. This is how uh, great a person I was. Open the door. I'd see who they were, say hello, and then close it. And then I'd go tell my sister, hey, your, uh, your church friends are here. They, they wouldn't step foot in the house. I did not like them because I know that they 
just their very presence. For me, I thought they were, they were judging me. I thought that they were exposing my sin. They weren't doing any of it. They, they weren't judging my sin. They were desiring that I would come to salvation is what they were desiring. They were praying for me. I was full of darkness, and the darkness does not want the light to expose that darkness. John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So we know the reason the world is opposed to Christ. But how about the solution? Well, we have the solution. That is the gospel. The gospel is known because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. His pain and, our, and humiliation on our behalf that he endured. It was for our benefit. It was the love of the Father demonstrated through the Son for our sake. In Christ, our sins were judged on the cross, paid for in full by God. And there is therefore now no condemnation for all to those who are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 8.1. I say this as we go into the section of Jesus' pain and humiliation to perhaps help us to better understand why Jesus endured what he did. Again, I go back to what I said at the very beginning. He did not go through this in order to receive pity from us, for us to be, feel sorry for him. No, he did this willingly. What we should experience is a deep conviction of our hearts. Oh God, you did this for me. You were willing to experience pain and humiliation on my behalf. was accomplished so that perhaps we would see the love God has for us. To see that he was willing to endure his cross, his crucifixion, his sacrifice, his shed blood on behalf of you and I to atone for our sins. You see, it's that kindness that draws us to Jesus Christ. Jesus was blameless. We are not. So the pain and humiliation, betrayal that Jesus experienced and endured was for our benefit. We then are faced with these questions. How then should we endure pain and humiliation? How then should we praise him? How then should we be confident that he loves us? So this morning, we're going to take a look at pain, humiliation, and betrayal. That which Jesus experienced to gain a better understanding of the love that God has for you, and then understand why he did it. In the first section of Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 61, 
we see how it is that false accusations were meant to destroy Jesus. As we read through, we know that Mark goes straight to the second illegal court hearing of the night. It was held in the middle of the night. Uh, The first one was before Annas. He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, brought before Annas, and then brought to what we know Mark recorded here in Mark chapter 14. The third trial was before the Sanhedrin, and then Pilate, and then Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate, and then Pilate sent sent him to Calvary, sent him to Golgotha. Well, it was still night, having been brought before the religious rulers to be put to death. That was the whole sole purpose of him being brought before the religious rulers. And we know that this wasn't a just trial. This was an illegal trial. There were no righteous intentions here. The only justice will be known on the cross, and it will be the pinnacle of God's grace, the judgment of the sin of the world. In fact, if we consider, if we remember back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This, this was after, by the way, he healed a man with a withered hand. At that point, they were seeking a way, planning on how to destroy Jesus. Now, fast forward now to chapter 14 of Mark. And what we have before us in Jesus before the council. These are the same religious leaders now that have Jesus in custody. And they were doing everything they could to find something and someone who would be willing to testify against Jesus. For the express purpose of putting him to death. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy This is the character of the enemy. But as they were doing this, we can't help but acknowledge the fact that they were failing. First, they couldn't find anyone that was willing to testify against Jesus. Maybe it was because there was nothing Jesus could be rightly accused of. So at first they were just looking for someone. Someone has to testify against him. Secondly, when they did find someone that would testify against Jesus, it was a false testimony. And even that, in that, they couldn't, they couldn't agree. Thirdly, and we saw here and we read through it, they twisted Jesus' words, accusing him of inciting the destruction of the temple. Which, by the way, was a capital offense under Roman rule. But what did... Jesus actually say in John chapter 2 verse 18 So the Jews said to him what sign do you show us for doing these things Jesus answered them destroy this temple and in 3 days I will raise it up The Jews then said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in 3 days This offers clarification to what they twisted in Mark chapter 14 verse 20 One, it says, 
but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. That's what he actually said. Jesus did not say that he would destroy the temple, but rather when they destroyed Jesus on the cross, he would be raised from the dead after three days. But even with this, the false testimony of the false witnesses was not in agreement. Even with that, they, they, they couldn't get their story straight. You know, it, it's much harder to um, be consistent with a lie than it is to be consistent with the truth. Right? The truth, it'll come from different viewpoints and perspectives, and yet it can all come together and it's telling the same story. But when you try and put together a group of people and lie about something, well, there's embellishment, there's a, a twisting of it in such a way to where it's never consistent. With this, the religious leaders were frustrated. Have you ever experienced the frustration of the enemy? Perhaps, you know, at work, with friends, family? There's frustration that's building. Why? Because you're consistent in telling the truth. It's, it's the same over and over again. It's like you sound like a broken record because that's the truth. There's, there's nothing more. There's nothing less to it. This is simply the truth on which I stand. Well, for Jesus, the religious leaders were getting frustrated. Nothing stuck. Every false accusation was revealed in gross inconsistencies over and over again. So finally, the high priest stood up. As we read here in verse 60, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? So he was, he was frustrated, irritated, stumped. He was seething with anger. Remember that they had brought Jesus before the council to put him to death, to bring forth witnesses that would testify against him and prove his guilt in some way. And at this point, they were finding nothing. They couldn't find anything. And he personally addressed Jesus, not believing that he had no answer for the accusations. That's interesting, though. I have to ask the questions for which ones? You mean the ones that can't even be verified because they're false and inconsistent? What am I to respond to? There's really no accusation that is based on truth. It's all twisted and fabricated and made up. And you want me to, resp you want me to respond to what? Oh, the enemy was frustrated. Listen, if Jesus wanted to, he could have had a line of witnesses that would testify of who he is, what he did that, that would be miles long. Oh, just look outside. Just for, for a minute, just, just look outside and check out the line that's out there. Oh, wow. It, it, it goes, I can't even see the end of it. Yeah, those are the people that have witnessed what I have done and what I have actually spoken.
But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. You see, this was, this was his hour. And he recognized this was the hour for him to be falsely accused, to be condemned to death on the cross because he was willingly going to shed his blood on our behalf. This was his hour. Because if the high priest had sufficient evidence to put Jesus to death, he would have no need to stand up himself. In that moment, he would have had no need to stand up and address Jesus. Do you have no answer for these accusations? But he didn't. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now Jesus is asked a very important question. It's a direct question now. Whether he is the anointed one, the sent one from the Father, the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus will testify of himself truthfully. Verse 61 says, But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He answered. This was the truth. And what happened next is that This truth incited the wicked to to violence. Verse 63 says, And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Interesting how Jesus was being tried and judged But then his response to the high priest and to all of the religious leaders is, I am. In fact, you are trying and judging me falsely. But one day, and they understood this very clearly, he said that he would be their ultimate judge. You know, um, Anytime you tell someone that ultimately the word will judge, the word will bear witness against us. There's there's anger, there's frustration to those who don't believe, to those who are opposed to God and his word. You see, truth always incites the wicked to violence in some way. He told them very clearly what was true, that at some point, ultimately, I will come back and I will come back to judge. It was here that, by the way, they had an opportunity once more to think about what Jesus said and then investigate this further. But of course, they didn't. They had no intention of investigating this truthfully. Sincerely, genuinely. 
This was their mistake, and it's a, the mistake that many people make today. I have had plenty of conversations with plenty of people who simply parrot what the world says about the Word of God and Christians and the church and, and God and His grace and salvation and, and everything that pertains to life according to the Word of God. Just parrots. People, a lot of people parrot what they hear. They repeat it. And yet if I ask them, I've asked them repeatedly, please show me the inconsistencies. Let's take one by one and let's cover them. Let's see what you have come to understand. I can't tell you of one, of one person that has genuinely and intended to understand what they perceive to be inconsistencies. I haven't found one. Not one. It's the same mistake that many people are making today. Not investigating, not looking into it themselves, but just regurgitating what someone else has told them with complete ignorance and without any understanding. But many people hate Jesus because he exposes the sin. They love and dismiss him. They simply dismiss him. I want nothing to do with you. Only serving to dismiss the one who loves them. And the one who extends his grace to them through his sacrifice. What Jesus said was clearly understood by the high priest and the other religious leaders in that moment. It amazes, it amazes me when people say, you know, Jesus never said that he was God. Well, again, probably only parroting what they've heard. Someone else told him that. Well, I, I think it was pretty clear what he said here. You, know, you read it with me, right? They understood that he, at that point, if he wasn't God, then he would be committing blasphemy against God, right? But yet, there's no blasphemy here because he's, he's stating something that is true. Jesus confessed that he is indeed the Son of God, the Christ. The truth of who Jesus is provoked, has provoked the wicked to violence. Accusing Jesus of blasphemy and there were some there that spit on Jesus, covered his head, struck him, mocked him by telling him at that point, prophesy, who struck you? And it says, and then the Roman guards received him with blows. These were, these were just guards that were there to take him to the next place where they told him to take him. They thought it would be fun to strike a prisoner that the religious leaders had spat on and slapped and mocked. You know how, how foolish it looks when people just join in in the mockery of God. Again, not, not even knowing, not even understanding. You see that online all the time. Just one person comments on a post, and here we go. Oh, yeah. And they just join in. It's like, 
you're, you're saying these things without having any knowledge whatsoever. It doesn't, doesn't even sound intelligent like it. There's no, it's without understanding. These Roman guards, they, they just joined in. There are those who are actively and violently opposed to Jesus, and then there are those who just go along with them. Having an absolute contempt for God because they are mindless followers of whatever the popular majority tells them to believe without finding out for themselves what is true. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, Be astonished, O heavens, and be horribly afraid. His face is the light of the universe. His person is the glory of heaven. And they began to spit on him. Alas, my God, that man should be so base. Close quote. Truth incited the wicked to violence, but then we have the betrayal of Peter. Fear invokes cowardice and betrayal. Verse 66, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again saying to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You know, I didn't touch on it for, on purpose. But on, in verse 54, it says, And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. This is Peter. So then Mark picks up in verse 66. And we see the denial of Peter. Peter followed Jesus after his arrest. He was there. But he was, he was at a distance. All his, all his followers did indeed scatter. All of them. We now see how Peter, who had previously stated that he was willing to be persecuted, jailed, and even die with Jesus, doesn't want to be known as one of Jesus' followers for fear, for fear of persecution, imprisonment, and death. Stated previously, hey, though I'm persecuted, I'm willing to be persecuted with you. I'm I'm willing to, to die with you. Though all deny you, I will not deny you. Again, Peter had to come to the end of himself. Had to realize that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't rely on the flesh. He was filled with fear, not with faith. And this fear, hmm, it caused him to cower. Anytime you are sensing a desire to cower, know that it's because of some fear that you're experiencing in the moment. Learn to recognize it quickly. 
Cower is a, is a drawback on anything that you should be standing for. Because it's fear that caused him to cower. It's fear that caused him, Peter, to betray Jesus and to deny that he even knew him. You see, unchecked fear caused Peter to gather with and warm himself with those who struck, mocked, and spit on Jesus. Just know that you are cowering and you are betraying Jesus when you desire most to be warmed by the fires of the enemy of the world than to draw close to the Lord and be persecuted, imprisoned, and deal with any kind of trials and tribulation that you would experience standing with him. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Fear caused Peter to forget what Jesus warned him of. This is what fear causes us to do. Unchecked fear. All of a sudden you forget about the word of God. All those warnings that he warned you with are forgotten. This forgetfulness of Peter, filled with fear, led him to vehemently dismiss God's word. Completely disregard it. You see, Peter was fearing man more than God. But he needed to learn to fear God over man. And he did. As we look through the book of Acts, as we look through to his letters. Fear will always invoke cowardice and betrayal. Peter, upon hearing the rooster crow a second time. It was at that point that he remembered Jesus' words, but it was too late. He had already done it. It was that night when I heard the gospel clearly one more time that I myself heard the rooster crow for the second time. All Peter could do is weep with remorse, sorrow, having within him a broken heart for what he did to the one who loved him. Perhaps at some point, if you've turned your, your back on the Lord, I hope that you too will hear the rooster crow that second time. That you will come to that point of an awareness of what you have done and return to the one whom you know loves you with an everlasting love. I remember the day I realized that I was denying Jesus. The day that I had joined the world and was warming myself at the campfire of compromise. I can confess to you I was a coward. I had betrayed my Savior. And I heard the proverbial rooster crow for the second time. I think the rooster had crowed that second time over and over, though. But it wasn't until I heard it with understanding 
a genuine brokenness toward Jesus, that I responded with tears of remorse and repentance, and at the same time knowing the faithfulness of God, knowing with great confidence, O oh Lord, I have sinned against you and you alone. I have this very moment. I'm ashamed of what I've turned this into. I've trampled your grace underfoot. Again, I, I pray that we would come to that place. We would stop playing. We would stop disregarding. Again, the crowing of the rooster. Remember, the world is opposed to God. John 1.5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. James 4.4 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. John 15.18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Secondly, truth incites the wicked to violence. Acknowledge this, understand it, be aware of it. Remember that the character of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy, and those who belong to him carry out his will. And thirdly, fear invokes cowardice and betrayal. Fear God and obey his word. Be strong and courageous, knowing that God is with you and loves you with an everlasting love. And demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die on the cross on your behalf. Know that the pain, humiliation, and betrayal that Jesus experienced and willingly endured was for your benefit. Again, we go back to the questions we asked at the very beginning. How then should we endure pain and humiliation? How then should we, oh, raise up, brothers and sisters, who belong to him, praise him? How then should we praise him with everything we have? He's given us everything. He's forgiven us of our sins. Why then shouldn't we praise him with everything? Why shouldn't we give him everything? Sacrifice. This is a living sacrifice. I give it entirely to you. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Brothers and sisters, how then should we be confident that he loves us? We should not doubt. We should come to the place to knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Being confident that he loves us. He demonstrated it. How then should we Love him. Rejoice in the salvation we have come to know in Christ. Endure pain and suffering knowing that it is proving your salvation to be genuine, refining you, and serving to build your faith. Being confident that you will see the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know how much he loves you? And have you simply opened up your heart, repenting of your sin, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and then walking faithfully with him? He experienced pain and humiliation on our behalf. How then should we respond? Father, oh Lord, I am so thankful. So thankful 
that although I and many have turned our backs on you, that you truly never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you endured that pain and humiliation, the beating, the cross, the shedding of your blood on our behalf. Oh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Lord, we understand and we know that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thank you for extending that salvation to us through Jesus Christ. And I thank you also, Lord, that as we fail, as Peter failed, and as we come to that point of recognizing and understanding that we have denied you. Lord, that you are willing in that moment when we are filled with sorrow and being broken before you, grieving our sin against you, that you in that very moment, when we repent, we confess you and we cry out to you, Lord, save us. Lord, you do. You embrace us and you bring us in. May we remain close to you, walking with you, desiring to bless and honor you. Thank you for your salvation known through Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for all the gifts and the hope of heaven that we have in him. In Jesus' name we pray.